tonight we are going to talk from 1 Kings chapter 19. Whether you're very excited about being here or not, um, we, I'm excited. I'm excited to share God's Word with you. I hope that you're excited just to hear from God's Word tonight. That's what we're going to do. Um, as I've been preparing for all of this, we've been thinking along the lines of Thanksgiving and all of those things. But God kept drawing me back kind of to this this. Oh, this passage of scripture. Um, we're going to talk, maybe touch on Thanksgiving tonight, but we're also going to kind of piggyback on what you heard this morning a little bit, um, which is amazing to me the way God kind of orchestrates things. David Abernathy and I didn't really get together on that, but you'll, you'll maybe find some, I don't know, some common ground between what you hear tonight and what you heard this morning. But I am thankful about a lot of things. One of the things that I'm very, very thankful for is Temple Baptist Church. For what I get to do here, I'm thankful for for youth ministry that's happening here. Um, I would love you anytime you want to spend like an hour of time just hearing me talk, which I know is often. Just come ask me, hey John, what's God doing in youth ministry? I'd love to tell you about that. I love the staff that I get to work with. Um, I love Temple Baptist Church. I love where God has us right now as a church family. I love hearing a couple Sunday nights ago about the strategic plan for the next seven years of what we are expecting and hoping and praying that, that we get to be a part of as God works through our church um, with missions, with, with things that are happening here in our community, with all over the world. It's an exciting time to be a part of Temple Baptist Church. It's arguably a time of revival here at Temple Baptist Church. God is doing some things here. I had a conversation with a youth minister friend of mine in Mississippi this past week, um, and we, we were talking about some things that God was doing in our churches, and as, as I kind of wrapped up that conversation, he said, John, it sounds like there's revival at your church. I said, well, yeah. Now, no, revival is kind of a broad, interesting term in itself, but this idea of, of just being this, this life that is here, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that being a description of Temple Baptist Church, that you and I are in a time of revival. But tonight, I want to talk with you specifically along this question of when does revival end? Tonight may be a time for you and I to get together um, as, as Temple Baptist Church, as the, the faithful and the few on Sunday night, on Thanksgiving week, where we can get together and hopefully maybe tonight do a little bit of maintenance rather than repair. Maintenance is always better than repair anyway. So you and I want to hopefully tonight take us while we're at a place of revival when God is doing some amazing and awesome things. And you and I maybe can maintain some of, of, of what God is asking us to do so that God continues to work in powerful ways through Temple Baptist Church. We're going to work through 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. We're going to just kind of take a few verses at a time, and eventually we'll, we'll make our way all the way through 18 verses tonight together. Well, let's go. Ready? Um, chapter 19 of 1 Kings says this, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. All right, let's stop there. We'll give you a little bit of background here, all right? What Elijah had done, we need to know, right? What has happened right before this, we have this whole Mount Carmel experience where, where we see Elijah calling down fire from heaven, burning up the offering, um, all those things. And then he takes out, and they take out hundreds of these prophets of Baal, which are all kind of underneath Jezebel's rule and brain, um, and, and he kills all of those people, um, all of those prophets. And so Ahab, who is king, goes back to Jezebel and says, hey, let me tell you about what this, this man of God has done. That's what he's done. She's not going to be happy. Here we go, ready? And how he killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. What a message, right? 
Like, here, here you did this, and so here's, here's my message to you. We'll, we'll come back to that. Verse 3, then he was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life. Came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise, eat, for the journey is too great for you. He arose, ate, and drank, and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. We'll stop there for just a second and kind of catch up on what's happening here. One, we see that Elijah, um, he's just got done with this absolutely great mountaintop, true mountaintop experience with God. And then this letter comes from Jezebel. A messenger comes and he, she says, hey, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do it by tomorrow or else I might as well be dead. It's a serious threat. A lot of times maybe you've received a threat or two in your life. I know that I have. I probably didn't deserve any of them. But usually they're kind of open-ended. They're like, hey, I'm going to do this to you. But when a timeline comes with it, you know that those people are serious, right? When this, she says, I'm going to do this to you and I'm going to do it by the time tomorrow is over, like, we've got something serious now, right? And so it says that then he was afraid. This man of God who has just called down fire from heaven gets a message and then now all of a sudden he's afraid and it says that he runs for his life all the way to Beersheba. He runs all the way to the southern part of the country a long way. He runs away for his life. He gets there and then all of a sudden he decides, all right, I'm going to leave my servant here. I'm going out into the wilderness. And he says, oh, oh, Lord, I might as well be dead. Because someone's after him. Because one person is after him. He says, I might as well be dead. Because he's afraid he has turned all of his attention upon himself. And he gets there and this, this angel of the Lord comes and gives him a cake. Angel food cake right there. It's biblical. All right. And so he gets there and they get, they get this cake and he eats it and then he goes back to sleep and no, 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 you eat some more. And he does. And then it says that that lasts him for 40 days. 40 days. I like that number. God likes that number. 40 days. Lots of things happen when around the number 40. All right. So he travels for 40 days. Now, where he travels to is to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, all kind of the same thing. Um, he travels there. So he's traveling for 40 days to the mountain of God. That would be significant. It should be significant. Elijah should know that that's significant. It's really only about a 12 day journey, but it takes him 40. Through the same desert where the Israelites have kind of wandered around for about 40 years. All right, so, so this number 40 is, 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 is here. He's going to the mountain of God. You would think that this, this is a setting, a time where God has said, look, I'm going to, I'm about to show you something awesome, something amazing, something absolutely that is going to rock your world. I've just sent fire down and, and, and used you in this amazing way. Here you are. You've traveled for a specific amount of time. I sent you this awesome angel food cake. We are here. We are together at the mount of God where I gave like the Ten Commandments to Moses. Like this is a significant place. Things are about to happen. This is about to get good, right? And so here's where we are. There's the setting. And so here's what happens. Ready? Verse 9. He came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, 
Elijah. God comes, as only God can, speaks into Elijah's life after he's been running for his life. He comes to this place, and God basically looks at him and says, what are you doing here? There's kind of two different things. I think two, two folds of this question of what are you doing here. One is kind of a, of a location type thing. What are you doing here? You're running for your life. I never told you to run for your life. You're here and you're hiding. I didn't tell you to hide. Now, earlier, God did. Chapter 17, somewhere around verse 3 or so, God tells Elijah, go and hide, and he does. And God kind of takes care of him. But God hasn't told him to run and hide this time. It's this idea of what are you doing here? And then there's also this idea of expectation. You've come here. You've come to to Mount Horeb, this, this holy place. And you're here, so what are you doing here? You know that this is a specific location. You know that this is a place where, where God has done amazing things and spoke in, in amazing ways. So, God, so, so Elijah, what are you expecting? What are you doing here at this place, at this time, under these circumstances? Maybe that's a question for us tonight. For us, um, maybe even... As David Abernathy talked this morning about us as a church, kind of big church idea. Tonight, maybe let's take that down to Temple Baptist Church for a little while. For us, what are we doing here in Ruston, Louisiana, located where we are? What are we doing here? We just had this wonderful presentation of what we're hoping that God will do through us over the next seven years. That's great and that's wonderful. But even maybe even individually, what are we doing here? Knowing that we're at a part of a church that's amazing, that God is doing things. And if, if you haven't realized that, open your eyes, look around a little bit. God's doing some significant things. Even this morning, you get to watch a baptism. And that's not rare. We get to see that often. God's doing some things in our church. And so you specifically, in, even in our church, what are you doing here? Maybe that's a wonderful question for us tonight. Elijah, he's hiding. So it's a question of motivation. It's a question of location. Um, So for us, what are we doing here? This idea, maybe even along the lines of if we know that that God is doing all this around us, often I find people, um, I've been in church a long time. I'm I'm 34 years old. I've been in church for 34 years and some months and then add nine months to that. My father is a pastor. Um, I've been in church. Um, I've been on church staffs. I've spent lots of time around church. I lived in, like, across the church parking lot as a kid, um, and then I even did it as a youth minister when I was over in Emmanuel. Like, we had our house, and the church parking lot ended. There's my house. I spent a lot of time around church, and I find people a lot of times at church that they want to be a part of something that God is doing, but the way that they want to be a part of it is to kind of watch it and be able to say, hey, it would be as if you and I were saying, hey, I'm a member at Temple Baptist Church. Let me tell you some of the things that God is doing. But if someone were to ask us and say, all right, well, what are you doing? Are you here with this kind of tourist attitude where here, I want to come here and I want to see things. I want to see God do amazing things. Or are you here kind of as a volunteer to say, hey, I'm here to be a part of what God is doing. Not just to see God do amazing things, but I'm here to be a part of what God is doing. And I want to be a part of it in big ways. I want to be a part of it as big a way as possible. As big as God will use me, I want to be there. What are we doing here? We get to verse 10. God has asked this question. Here's Elijah's response to that question. Um, He says, 
Um, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now here's what's interesting to me. Ready? Um, Elijah has become so self-centered in his response that he can't really see a, a bigger picture here. Elijah is amazing and wonderful and gigantic things for God, but at some point here in his life, he's, he's believing as if he is the only one left. He's even stretching the truth here a little bit to God. He, he's taking some, some, some liberties here. First, he's saying that I'm the only one left. Chapter 18, verse 3, Obadiah is kind of lining things out, and he's even saying, hey, there are, are hundreds of prophets who have not bowed a knee to Baal. And right after Obadiah kind of makes this statement, he meets up with Elijah. I would think to myself that Elijah, even if he doesn't know about the hundreds of others, he would know about Obadiah. He would probably know he's probably not the only one. But sometimes you and I can become so self-centered, we can become a part of what God is doing in such a way that we think that God needs us and that we're valuable, so valuable to him that we are more valuable than even the people around us, that God would need, God, I, it's, it's me, like, Here's the deal. And that's kind of where Elijah, I think, finds himself, or we find Elijah here. He's self-centered because he thinks he's the only one, when we know he's not. And on top of that, he says, the people of Israel, they're after me. They want to kill me. Not really. It's just Jezebel. It's just her. In fact, the people of Israel, the prophets that they've just killed were prophets of Baal. They weren't prophets of God. But there are people after him. But he's kind of added on to that. It's the whole nation, God. They're all after me, and I'm the only one. Sometimes when you and I become so focused on ourselves, so self-centered, our problems become bigger than they really are. We have a very, very big God. For, I, for probably every single one of you in the room, you can think back to times where God has worked in your life and done things that were absolutely gigantic. You know that God has worked before, even if the fact that it is just that God has come and saved you. Then God has done more for you than what you ever deserved. God is a very big God who does very big things for us. And we don't need to be so self-centered that we think that, that, that our problems are, are so big that, that our God can't handle it, that our God can't do something. I, it seems to me as if Elijah has just kind of lost focus on what's been happening all around him. And he's just focused on himself. Verse 11, we got God's response to Elijah. Here we go, ready? Um, verse 11, he said, go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? There are many, many sermons that have, have taken place just from those verses alone, um, of God coming and how he speaks in that still, small voice and, and all of those things. But I want you to, to catch kind of what's happening here. He says, I want you to go out. Stop hiding. I want you to go out on the mountain in front of me. And it says that God comes by and all of these things. And then God comes and it says he comes in a still, small voice. And you notice that it's at that point he comes out of the cave. 
It's then. It's almost as if Elijah waits until God does something else for him. And then he says, all right, now I'll come out of my hiding spot. And I'll come before you. You asked me to do it earlier. And he sees fire and earthquake and, and mountains splitting apart. But he waits till God does all that. And then he says, all right, now I'll come out and I'll listen. And then he gets the question. He gets this, this, this question where God comes in and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? The wonderful, wonderful part about this. As I read through this, this chapter and as I see this great man of God kind of become this a little so a lot self-centered kind of forgetting about this bigger picture and only seeing his own problems we still have God that comes and talks to him over and over again I love that I love that you and I have a God that no matter where we are no matter how sinful we are no matter how self-centered we are no matter how much we've forgotten about him that he will come and he will speak to us over and over he'll come in that still small voice in that very personal way and speak to us, and to still call us out, and to still call us to be a part of what he's doing, that God does not give up on us, even though many times we give up on ourselves and give up on what God has been doing through us, God still comes to us. Oh, I love that. I love that. But what God tells him is, what are you doing here? I told you my father is a pastor. My father is about six foot four. Um, he's, he's still got me um, by a few pounds. Um, few tell him I said that um, and then but but all of my life he's been a, a large fellow um, he, he just you look at him and you think yes sir whatever you say sir at least I did always did if my father growing up were to ever ask me a question and probably even still if you were to ask me a question and I give him some sort of answer and if he were to ask me the same exact question again I know that what he really wants is a different answer. He does not want me to tell him, well, Dad, I, this happened because Holly, my older sister, what she was doing, she, this happened, and then, then she said that to me, and then I did that to her, and, and then the, it all kind of got out of control. He's like, no, no, no. Like, if he were to ask me the same question, I would know, all right, he didn't want that answer. He, he wants to know something else, something more personal, something more truthful? God asks Elijah. He says, what? What are you doing here? Again, knowing the location, knowing the setting, what are you doing here? Verse 13. Again, it says this. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out, stood at the entrance of the cave. He's finally obeying. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here Elijah. He speaks to him in spite of his attitude, his self-centeredness, um, all of these things. God continues to speak. For us as a church, if we're talking for us as a church and us as individuals, I firmly believe that God is not choosing uh, to use Temple Baptist Church because of the membership. It's not because of me and you. It's not because of the resources we have. It's not because we are more obedient than some other place and some other church. And it's not because of, of, of our geography. It's not because of, of any of those things. God chooses, I believe, to use Temple Baptist Church probably more in spite of who we are than because of who we are. I love that we have a God like that. 
here, God's still talking and still calling to Elijah. And, and I still believe that even us personally, that God speaks to us not because we are holy, not because we deserve to hear from him, not because we are obedient enough to hear from him. God speaks to us and calls to us and, and, and relates to us in spite of who we are. You get into Romans and, and, and where God tells us that, that when we were sinners, while we are still sinners, Christ comes and he dies for us. He doesn't wait for us to become something. God says, I'll take you just like you are, and I'll still speak to you. I'll still call you into relationship with me. That is what I want. He does it here, even still with Elijah, knowing all that we know going on here. He still does that. So here we go. Ready? Verse 14, Elijah gets the same question, knowing, at least in my mind, hey, God probably wants something different, wants a different response. Verse 14, here we go. Ready? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed the prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He gives them the same response. God comes in and he asks him the same question. I would, I think, asking for a little bit more honest of a response and he gives him the exact almost word-for-word response. For me, I think this is kind of where God says, okay, if you are going to be this self-centered, if you are going to be this focused on your own self instead of what I am doing and what I am capable of, okay. So God then responds to this, to Elijah's response in verse 15. He says this, Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. It's here that I, I believe that God is coming into Elijah, this great man of God, this, this man who has seen God do things and do things through him that, that you and I can only even imagine. And he looks at him and he says, okay, I'll use someone else. He says, I'll, I'll use somebody else as king. I'll use somebody else as my voice to the people of Israel. I'll use another prophet. You go. You anoint him. And while you think you're the only one, let me tell you that there have been 7,000. There's always more. You're not irreplaceable. Go. It's a sad a sad moment. Now, you and I, you kind of know the rest of the story, I hope. And Elijah, after this, he does some pretty cool stuff. Like he dips his cloak in the River Jordan and it just kind of parts and he walks across that thing. Um, God calls him up in this fiery thing, right? Like there's still some awesome things that Elijah sees. But for, for all practical purposes, this kind of marks the end for him. Marks the end for him as prophet, as the voice of God. It really marks the beginning of Elisha. What God tells him is, I'll move on. 
I'll use someone else. Tonight, as you and I think about this idea, maybe even as you ponder on the statistics that David Abernathy gave us this morning, it breaks my heart to know that, that America, that our nation, is, is no longer the leading voice in the world, probably, for Jesus Christ. That where God is working, where God is bringing about revival in these thousands of people a day coming to know him as Savior, it's other places around the world. I do agree. I don't think that, that it is too late for America. I do think some changes need to happen. I think you and I can be part of that. But could it be that God is, is even saying, and has said to our nation, all right, if you're not willing, if you're too focused on yourself, I'll use someone else. I'll use somewhere else to bring revival to the world, to bring the gospel to the nations. Again, still believe that God is using us. But could it be a message for our nation? Could it be a message for our church? Again, tonight, hopefully this is maintenance for us to just be reminded that we can't focus on ourselves. I believe we have a pastor who reminds you of that often. As you and I talk about things that, that we are, are hoping that God will do through our church, every time that I've heard us, and in those kinds of conversations, I've heard our pastor say, and don't forget, it is God who is going to do this and reminds us of our place in all of this. God could very easily choose to use someone else, some other church. Very easily. But I'm glad that right now I feel like he's using Temple Baptist Church. I want it to stay that way. But even personally, for you, every, everywhere that I've been as a minister, uh, for, for, for those of you that don't know my story, I came to Louisiana Tech. I was a youth minister at Emmanuel Baptist Church. About four years during college, um, and then about a year after that, I stayed at Emmanuel Baptist Church and ministered there. Um, and then I left went to Mississippi. Um, was there for almost eight years um, in Mississippi doing youth ministry, and then came back home to Ruston. Um, and I've been with you guys um, now for about two and a half, a little over two and a half years. But everywhere that I've been, guess what? They replaced me. Ministry did not end when I left. Uh, it's, it's very clear for me to see I am replaceable. <laughs> I had two um, seniors um, in high school that came to visit today. I don't know if you saw them, maybe saw me walking around with them, but they came from, from Brandon Baptist Church where I was just to come visit um, and catch up for a little while. And one of the questions I asked them was, hey, how's, how's the church, how's youth ministry doing? Their answer to me was, it's great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and I'm glad. I, mean, I, I hope that, that God, if ministry ends when you and I leave, something's wrong. You and I, we are replaceable. Sadly enough. Now maybe God uses somebody else in slightly different ways, and maybe it's not quite the same as it always has been, and, and all of those things, but God will use people. God is not done. You, you and I are not so valuable to God that, that he needs us. He kind of proves that to Elijah. You personally, where God has positioned you, within your family, within your friends, within the people that you work with, within your spheres of influence, 
Are you just kind of grateful? Is this a time of thanksgiving where you'll say, I'm thankful for my family and I'm thankful for my job and I'm thankful for my friends? And those are great and wonderful things, but I hope that it'll be something more than that where you'll say, I'm thankful for the ministry that God has given me in my family and my job and my friends. I'm thankful for how God is using me. I'm not just thankful to be a part of those spheres of influence, but I'm thankful for how God is using me in those spheres of influence. There should, God, God is, has positioned us and you personally not to just be there and be grateful for what God has given you, but to be there and be used by God. Tells Elijah, go. Go somewhere else. And if, if, if tonight serves as anything for you, I hope that it's a reminder to maybe do a little evaluation, maybe a little bit of maintenance. I believe that God is using our church. I believe God is using our nation. I believe that God is using you. Uh, there, there are individual stories represented in this room. There are some that I could tell you from, from youth. There's, uh, God is using individuals. He's using our church. He's using us. I love that. I'm grateful for that. I pray that that continues. But I think that continues as you and I kind of evaluate and as you and I ask and we say, God, let me see things from your perspective. Let me not be so focused on myself that I get lost in thinking that I'm more valuable than I really am, that I'm irreplaceable, that I am, 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 am such a thing that you need me. Maybe do a little evaluation and say, all right, God, Show me a bigger perspective. How could you use me? On top of that, I think you and I remain usable through repentance. You and I, we mess up. I, I make mistakes. I still have sin. I still need repentance. I still need God to come in and clean things out every once in a while. You and I need that in order for God to, to, to remain usable in the best ways possible. God will still use us in spite of a whole lot of things, but I'd rather God use me clean and sharp rather than dirty and dingy and rusty. Maybe there's some of that maintenance that needs to happen as well. But maybe bigger than anything else, let us not be so stuck in our self-centeredness that we think that God is, is, is here to do something for us. Let us go and be a part of God's plan. God's plan for our nation, our church, for you as an individual, your spheres of influence. Go and be a part of God's plan. Not your plan, not asking that God would do things your way, but to say, God, let me see as you see and let me act wherever I possibly can. Let's pray together and we'll have a hymn of invitation. Father God, I love you. I love you because you, you refuse, Father, to give up. Father, even with, with Elijah in this story, Father, even though you anoint someone else, Father, you still take him home. He's still in fellowship with you, God. You still use him, Father, in, in, in ways that, that, that are still resounding throughout history and eternity because we're still talking about it even now. 
God, you, you still speak and you still want to be personal in a relationship with us. Father, I, I love you because you have not yet given up on me. God, that you still speak to me, you still call me, you still want me to be a part of the things that you are doing. God, you've positioned me, you've positioned this, this church such a place, Father, with, with such potential, with, with even so many things that are going on already for you and for your kingdom and for your glory. I love you for that. God, I pray that we would be a church that would not be so stuck with thinking of how great we are. God, that we aren't able to sing about how, how great you are. God, we would not lose sight. God, we are at your disposal. We are at, at your pleasure to use. God, I pray that we would remain there through repentance. God, that we would remain there through prayer, that we would remain there, Father, through an attitude of service. Father, through humbleness. Father, through answering the calls that you give us taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. God, may we do that individually. May we do that as a church, God, so that we could see your glory. Not so that we could see ours, not so that we would have some name or some fame, but God, so that we would see your glory. Father, I pray during the next few minutes, if there's someone here that needs to, Father, spend some time with you, Father, doing that evaluation that they would. God, if there's someone who needs to make a public decision to come and join. Father, this church that is, is, is so, Father, being used by you in such a great way. Father, that if someone wants to come and join, I, Father, pray that that would be happening right now. That they would not wait to be a part of what you're doing. God, whatever it is that you want to do in this invitation time, pray that you would. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.